0: Well, it's just about time to begin. Thank you for coming out tonight. We're going to be certainly looking at an interesting passage of Scripture this evening from the book of Ruth. We're going to be looking at verses 18 of chapter 2 down to verse 6 of chapter 3. And we'll be looking and analyzing the text as we kind of work our way through it tonight. So before we tackle it, let's pray. Father, thank you for your inspired Scriptures, and we thank you for this great book of the Bible, Lord. It's like no other book. The whole story here is like no other story, and obviously it's there to communicate to us great truths that we wouldn't have without it. So I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to cause us to glean what you would have us get from it, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that if we're going to experience the ultimate blessings of God, there are going to be times when God's people are going to have to take a risk. And that's in any area of life. Uh, If we're going to achieve the ultimate blessings of God, we're going to have to risk things. And there will be times when we have to trust God. There will be times where we have to step out by faith and basically just see what's going to happen. I mean, think about that episode with David and Goliath. Think of the risk he took when he walked out there to fight Goliath. I mean, he had confidence in the Lord, but that's a big risk. He's laying it on the line. And Ruth, as we come to this text tonight, is going to take a big risk. Now, she's already taken one. She made a move to relocate from her Moabite land to Bethlehem in Israel because she wanted to be in a place where they took the Word of God seriously, and she wanted to be with the people of God. But man, is she going to take a risk tonight. Now, last time, we saw an amazing turn of events for her. She'd gone out to a field to try to glean some grain. And it turns out by sovereignty of God that she ends up in a field that was owned by Boaz. And Boaz shows up at the very time she's there, and he spots her. And after he finds out this is the Moabite girl who came with Naomi, he elevates her status to a family level. And then you'll recall he invited her to a luncheon and he generously supplied everything she needs. And he told her that the reapers were to leave Ruth alone and also they were to see to it that she got good grain that she could take back home. That had been an incredible day in the life of Ruth. I mean, I am sure. It was probably one of the highlight days of her life, but it isn't over yet. At the end of this incredible day, she takes her grain and her leftover lunch that she had left over from when she had been invited to that lunch, and she went back home to Naomi. And naturally, when you bring that amount of grain to Naomi and then part of your lunch and you give that to Naomi, I mean, Naomi's going to say, what in the world has gone on here? What has happened here? And what we're going to see here by Naomi's response is Naomi recognizes God's sovereign hand in this. She recognizes God is sovereignly working here, and her response to Ruth is part of directing Ruth to God's will for her life. I cannot help but be reminded of something Jesus taught his disciples. If you go someplace and you aren't wanted then leave. If you are wanted, stay there. But if not, shake the dust off your feet and go down the road. It's very clear to Naomi by Boaz's response to Ruth that she obviously was well received by him. She could figure that out. And she realizes this and she realizes the theological and practical implications of this. And she makes a key decision for Ruth that literally is going to change her life. Now, before we get into this, I want to make an important observation about this story because I think it's overlooked by most who tackle this story. Naomi and Ruth are the ones who want this relationship with Boaz. Boaz is not the instigator of any of this. We know from Boaz's statement that he's old enough to be her father because he calls her his daughter. The reason why I think it is important to point this out is this idea of Ruth trying to see what God would do in a relationship with Boaz is not Boaz's idea. It's Naomi's idea, and it is also Ruth in response to Naomi's idea. I don't think there's anything more pathetic than to see some old man chasing after a younger woman. It's one of the most pathetic things you'll ever see. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing cute about it. Certainly nothing God-honoring about it. And Boaz is not doing that at all. Not at all. What happens is this story is perfectly above board. God will be in this story. In fact, you'll see it play out, how he actually does this in the context of seeking the will of God in this and calling leaders to actually analyze the situation to determine if it was the will of God back in this culture. And it turns out to be consistent with the word of God. One of the, in my opinion, classiest believers to ever come out of Hollywood was Joel McRae. If you see his old black and white movies, they're really something. Joel McRae had an incredible testimony, an incredible testimony for the Lord. He had an incredible testimony in the parts he chose to play, and he also refused to do any movie or western that would feature him with a younger woman. He said, I, and I paraphrase, it's not right for some old man to be chasing after a younger woman. He refused to do it. He said, I won't do it on screen at all. And what is about to happen here is not anything Boaz does. I want to be clear on that point. Now, there are nine observations we want to make. The first observation is Naomi wants to know where in the world Ruth had worked. Notice verse 19 of chapter 2. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, the specific question that Naomi asked when Ruth gets home is, where in the world did you get all this stuff? Where did you work? When Ruth got home, there's no doubt she had a very successful day of gleaning. In fact, I'm sure Naomi wasn't expecting this because she brought home an ephah of barley, which is almost six gallons plus, She brings home part of a leftover lunch that would have featured leftover bread and roasted grain that she had eaten because she got filled up and couldn't even eat that much. She brought that all home. Naomi was not expecting her to bring home that kind of take for a day. And naturally, when she brought all of that load home, she's wondering, where in the world did you get that? She obviously realized the quality of the grain and the abundance of the grain was not the norm So her obvious question is, where was it that you gleaned? Where in the world did you get so much? And then we learn from verse 19, even before she knows where she was, she says there in verse 19, may he who took notice of you be blessed. I mean, even before she knows where she gleaned, she actually makes kind of a prayer. She says, may the person who did this for you be blessed of the Lord. She asked God to bless the man who helped Ruth. Naomi was a woman of little means. As we saw, she was a widow. She had no husband or sons, and yet she asked God to bless one who had been so generous to Ruth. You know, we don't ask for offerings from any of our ministry. We don't solicit funds on the radio. We don't solicit funds for the internet. But people send in offerings. We just send. I don't know who these people are. We get them from all over the nation. People send in offerings. And I'll tell you what I've made a habit of doing. I say, Lord, I don't know who these people are, but bless them. I just pray that. Every time I take some of those offerings and put it in a basket, and then one of the deacons will pick it up Sunday morning, we have not come in all week. And I will just ask God to bless the people who have been generous to us and generous to the work of the Lord. And I pray that too for the people that are consistently giving as well. But that basically is what Naomi's doing here. She's realizing, boy, we have a lot here and she's praying for a blessing on the person. And that's something you can always do no matter how much you have or how little you have. You can always pray and you can ask God to bless things and that's what she's doing. And that's perfectly consistent, by the way, with Deuteronomy 24, because a landowner was supposed to leave things for an alien, an orphan, and widow. And Naomi obviously realizes, I don't know where you got all this stuff, but I'm telling you right now, whoever the owner was, they obviously obeyed the word of God. So she just goes ahead before she even knows the identity of the person who had done this. And she asked God to bless them. She knows this person obeyed the word of God and obviously left things to glean. And she asked the Lord to bless them. She has no idea how significant This blessing statement is to Boaz, to her, and to Ruth. In fact, at this point, she doesn't even know where Ruth had gleaned this. She has no idea. But you do get to look here at the kind of employer and company that an individual has that is blessed of God. God does bless those that are generous to their employees. I mean, God does shower blessing on those that are not bottom-line profit-focused owners that are stingy and greedy. I mean, I think you see that here with Boaz. He's a very generous type of employer. And God blesses generous employers. He blesses those that are generous and kind to those who work for him. And so Naomi just asked God to bless whoever it was. Which now brings us to the second observation. Ruth tells Naomi with whom she worked. There in verse 19, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now the question that Naomi had specifically asked her is, where did you work? Where did you work? Ruth doesn't answer that question. She leaps over that question. And she says, I'll tell you with whom I worked. And she told her mother-in-law that she had worked with a man whose name was Boaz. And now the story begins to take on a new slant by sovereignty of God, and we're going to zero in on Boaz. Which brings us to the third observation, Naomi responds to Ruth, verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness or his mercy, that's a said, to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative, he is one of our closest relatives. There are two responses that Naomi has to news that she got this from Boaz. Her first response is she again asked God to bless Boaz. There's no question that she realized that God's hand was in this, and she's already asked God to bless the one whose field it was. Now she specifically asked God to bless Boaz for his generosity. Now this is the second blessing she's already asked God to give him. The first is in verse 19, and she's asking him again in verse 20 to bless him again. The Lord had not withdrawn his kindness from Naomi and Ruth. That must have been a wonderful thing for Naomi to experience because she came back from the land of Moab pretty much beaten down and pretty low emotionally, as we saw earlier in the book when she got back from the land of Moab. But she still realized boy, God is still being gracious to me, and God is still being merciful to me, and God is still looking out for me. And now that Ruth has brought all of this home, we've got a relative who cares about us. This relative of ours is one who's obviously very much concerned what we have to eat, and it really touched her heart. And I think there's an important theological point to see here that she brings out. God is the God of the living, and God is the God of the dead, because the dead are still living. I mean, they're just not living here. But the dead are still living. God had raised up Boaz and certainly met his legal responsibilities to other family members. And this is the way God is to us. I mean, the fact of the matter is sometimes we wander from where we should be and we wander off the path and then we find our way back to him. And when we find our way back to him, we discover just like Boaz, he's gracious to us and showers us with many wonderful blessings. And Naomi was experiencing that. But the second point she brings out is, Boaz is our closest relative. That's what she brings out there in verse 20. He's one of our closest relatives. Now, it's interesting that Naomi includes Ruth by use of the pronoun our. You know, sometimes, and this is a personal thing, so it has nothing to do with anything. Sometimes in in in-law relationships, they'll call people mom and dad. And I think sometimes it's just superficial stuff. That's my own little idiosyncrasy. So don't take it. If you are an in-law and you're called mom and dad, that's fine. I don't have a problem here with that. But sometimes I just think it's so superficial in doing that. Well, this isn't superficial here. Because Naomi actually did consider Ruth to be her daughter. And obviously so did Boaz by his response and the word that Naomi uses here for closest relative is goel. I mean, he was a close relative in the sense that he could actually redeem things that were connected to the family. I mean, the close relative goel concept was a relative who was close, who was responsible for redemption and preservation and survival of the family. In fact, as near as I can determine, there are about six purposes of a goel, or six purposes of a close relative back in this culture. First of all, to make sure that the hereditary property of the family never passed out of the family. That was one of the responsibilities. In other words, part of the job of the closest relative was to keep track of that property and make sure it was staying in the family. This is promised land given by God to a family, and the close relative was to see to it that it stayed there. Secondly, buy back those in the family who sold themselves into slavery because of some financial crisis. He had a responsibility to see to it that people in the family were redeemed, and if possible, we learn from Leviticus, before the year of redemption. In the year of redemption, they'd all be set free, but this close relative, or the closest relative, had a responsibility to see to it that if they hired themselves out because they were having tough times, he had the responsibility to see to it that they were actually brought back into the family. Thirdly, to track down and punish and execute murderers of relatives. That was the Goel's responsibility, the kinsman-redeemer responsibility. I mean, you don't have jails here, and you don't have prosecutors and attorneys. So if some criminal act were committed, like somebody in the family was murdered, it became the responsibility of the leader, that close relative, to track down that murderer and settle that score. The fourth purpose was to receive restitution money in behalf of a dead victim of a crime. They were responsible to see to it that it got to the family. The fifth purpose was to make sure that justice was served in a lawsuit involving a close relative, that kinsman redeemer would be there, hear the case, be involved in the case, make sure justice was done, and finally, to make sure that a brother's widow had a child to maintain the family name. In a leverite marriage which we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 25, not that long ago in Deuteronomy, the brother had a responsibility to keep the family name in existence. So this Goel played an important role in this culture in that he was to watch over the family and make sure that things were protected and things proceeded right in the family in a right way before the Lord. Now, what's interesting to me is that in none of the passages that deal with this theme of What happens if you have a situation like this with Ruth? There's no mention of a guy having to marry a widow of a deceased person who wasn't in the family. I can't find that at all in the scriptures. Ruth is an outsider, she's a Moabitess. And furthermore, we know that Boaz is not a brother of McClone. He must be a close relative of him, but he wasn't a brother of her husband. And so there's really not, as I can see it, a legal mandate for this. But Naomi is, in my opinion, hoping in the Lord and hoping for the sovereignty of God to move in this case, thinking that maybe Boaz, who holds that high position in the family, will want to marry her. Which brings us to the fourth observation. Ruth informs Naomi what Boaz had said to her. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. When Ruth learned that Boaz was their closest family member, she's learning stuff here that she obviously didn't know. She told Naomi, well, you know, he said, I'm supposed to stay in that field, not leave it. He wants me just to work here until the end of harvest. And you're talking here a couple of months work, at least seven weeks. And it's interesting also, the writer identifies her as Ruth Moabite. She doesn't understand the ramifications of all of this business with Boaz until What's going to happen, happens. She doesn't realize all the ramifications of what's going on here in regard to the program of God and the word of God. But Boaz wanted Ruth to work right alongside those others that were employed by him. He made that clear. We saw that last time. In her case, she's gleaning for herself. He's giving her permission to go out there and glean for yourself and for Naomi. But in his workers' case, they're gleaning for him. Now, the actual discussion between Ruth and Boaz in chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, you'll recall we saw last week, Boaz invited Ruth to join in with his harvesters and go where they go. So what we learn here is apparently he also told her, you stay here until we finish the harvest. So you're talking seven, eight weeks of work. And if we take and do some math, on the fact that in just one day she brings home an ephah of barley, it's been calculated that in those seven weeks, if she stayed in that field and she brought home that every day, they would have enough food for two of those ladies for a year. So this was like hitting a gold mine here. When she's working in this place, in this field. I mean, he said, you stay here. I'm having my harvesters leave out things for you. You take them home and you provide for Naomi. Which brings us to the fifth observation. Naomi tells Ruth it's good for her to stay with the other maids in that field. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others will not fall upon you in another field. And again, when you're in a culture in which everyone is doing right in their own eyes, you have moral chaos. And Naomi realized the danger of this young, pretty Moabite girl and realized the importance of her sticking close to those other girls who are also out there working. And when you're in a job where you're cared for, and when you're in a job where you're protected, and when you're in a job where people seem to want to make sure that you have enough, boy, you don't want to leave that. I mean, you want to kind of stay there, and that's kind of the idea here. Now, that brings us to the sixth observation, and that is Ruth listened to what Boaz and Naomi told her. Verse 23 says, so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We learned three facts about Ruth here. She obviously stayed close to the other young ladies while she was doing all this work for this couple of month period, she gleaned until the end of the barley or wheat harvest. So you're looking at about six, seven, eight weeks. And she lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. I mean, that's where she lived. But now something happens after this is over. We come to the seventh observation. Naomi informs Ruth that she's been thinking about seeking a secure good life for her. We read in verse 1 of chapter 3 that Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, the word security in Hebrew, Minoah in Hebrew, is a particular word that would indicate that Naomi had been thinking about the fact that, you know, this girl, she needs a place. She needs peace in her life. She needs security in life. And Naomi wants the best for Ruth. She wants her to have a full, blessed life. That's what Naomi wants. She believes that God can give her that kind of life. And as the weeks went by, she was thinking on this. She was simmering on this. And I am convinced, as we work our way through this, that God was putting these things in her mind, because this is not some instant emotional plan or instant emotional reaction that she has here. This was something that God had planted in her thinking. It was a thought about security for Ruth. It was thought about a good life for Ruth. Naomi, since God's hand had been in this move, and also in contact with Boaz, she realized that Boaz is a very kind man. He's a very generous man. He's not a mean man. She's been running that through her mind. And she's thinking, boy, this would be something if this could work out legally in a way that's right before the Lord. And that's the way she's thinking. Naomi realizes that Ruth's security and good life was contingent upon that relationship with Boaz, but it would be a risk. It would be a risk that Ruth would have to take. So she came up with a plan. And I'll tell you this, Naomi believes in the providential sovereignty of God. There's no question about that. When she lost her own husband and lost her son, she believed in the providential sovereignty of God. She had a high, holy view of God's sovereignty, but she also realized that God's sovereignty also is consistent with human responsibility and planning. I mean, you cannot just sit in a living room, as we've said before, and hope it'll happen. You have to get out and do what you can do to make it happen, and then trust God to give the blessings, which is what Naomi's plan really does. Which brings us to the eighth observation. Naomi informs Ruth as to the action to take in regard to Boaz. Now watch what happens in verse 2. Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. Now, I want to again stress the point. Boaz is not chasing after a younger girl This isn't even in his brain. In fact, he'll be shocked. We'll see that, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. He'll be shocked at what actually goes down here. This is a plan that's perfectly legitimate and biblical. In fact, it'll go through normal channels where they have to meet with the elders and leaders and make sure this is all above board. It's a kinsman redeemer thing. So this is not just some normal type of thing. It was cultural. that was there and it's implemented by Ruth. And the first thing Naomi does is to remind Ruth, Boaz is our near kinsman. He's our near kinsman, and she's thinking in these terms. Now, there are six actions that are brought out in the plan of Naomi for Ruth to know and implement, and they're risky. A couple of them are real risky. First of all, Boaz winnows barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, You know what that is. A threshing floor was a place that kept the stuff clean, usually set up on the side of a mountain where good breezes were. And at night, you have breezes, but they're a lot less gusty than they are during the day. So if you're going to go up there and you're actually going to separate the wheat or corn, the kernel from the chaff, you're better to do it in the breezes of the evening because if you throw it up in the gusty winds of the Mediterranean during the day, it's likely to blow the whole thing away. So what they would do is they would go out there in the night breezes. When it came time to actually go ahead and get the kernels, they would go out there and they would toss it up into the air and then those gentle breezes would blow away the chaff and then the kernels would fall to the clean threshing floor that was clean and it protected the grain. Boaz is obviously a hands-on type of boss when it came to this. I mean, this is critical to his business. He let the other guys do the harvesting stuff But when it came time to actually be there to make sure that this was done right, as far as getting the grain and the kernels, he was right there. So what Naomi informs Ruth is he's going to do that tonight. Secondly, take a bath. That's what she tells her. Now, gleaning in a field is hot work. I mean, just walking in a Mediterranean climate, you get sweaty. And the field where this threshing floor was done is probably some distance from Bethlehem. We know it was a little ways from Bethlehem, and it's up on the side of a mountain. So, And those of you that have ever gone on a hike and gone up in the mountains, you know it isn't long. You're sweating. I mean, if you're just walking even normal and you're in decent shape, you're still sweating. So Naomi told Ruth, wash yourself, take a bath. Then, thirdly, put on some perfume. That's what she says in verse 3. She says, and anoint yourself. It was usually a perfume type of olive oil that was used for anointing. It acted as kind of a deodorant in a hot climate. It had a good fragrance to it. I can't help when I read that, but think of what Esther did the night that she was going to go in before King Ahasuerus. I mean, she bathed in perfumes, all of the ladies did, in their preparation to be with the king. And this is stuff that Ruth could do. I mean, this is part of it. There's stuff here she can't figure out. She doesn't know how Boaz is going to respond. Naomi didn't know how Boaz is going to respond to this. But this was one thing she could do, or a couple things she could do. And again, you see the point. God's sovereignty does not replace human responsibility. So they are doing everything they can to make themselves presentable, or Ruth is. And then fourthly, put on your best clothes. That's what it says in verse 3, and put on your best clothes. Actually, the Hebrew word has to do with put on your best dress really in view. And so she was to do whatever she could to make herself as presentable as possible and then go out to that area where Boaz was working, which brings us to the fifth action. Don't make yourself known until after Boaz has finished eating and drinking. Verse three says, do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 7. We'll look at this, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. So what would typically happen after this part of the business was done is the man would have a meal and he would have wine and that would be conducive to him going to sleep and getting a good night's sleep. Now, Naomi says you need to walk out there and not make yourself known. So you're going to have to kind of walk out there at dark. That's risky, boy. That's risky. You're asking a young Moabite lady who's dressed nice, who looks nice, to take a walk in a culture in which everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. That's dangerous stuff here. We tend to overlook this, but this is a real risk Ruth is taking to walk out to where he's at. Now, he'd given orders to the other guys from his employees that they were not to touch Ruth at all, but the other people in the area weren't given that same mandate, and so this would have been a real risk. Furthermore, prostitutes would often know where the guys were working, and they'd go to those places at night knowing that after work they're going to have a meal and have a few drinks. And so they were very much aware of that reality, and they realized that Boaz is going to, after he's done with this business of his, is going to eat a meal, and he's going to have something to drink, and he's going to relax, he's going to go to sleep. So what Naomi tells Ruth is, go out there, but don't make yourself known, don't let him see you when that's going on at all. Then she says, wait till he lies down and go to sleep and lie down by his feet. In verse four, he says, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. Now, Ruth was to watch and discover where Boaz was from some sort of distance where he laid down to go to sleep at night. That would do a couple of things. First of all, they don't know how this is going to play out. If he were to wake up, which he will wake up, we'll see it next week. If he were to wake up in the night and say, get out of here, what are you doing here? Get away from me. No one would be able to see that. She wouldn't be humiliated publicly because she would just be off privately where he was. But she didn't know how Boaz was gonna respond. So she tells Ruth that. I mean, Naomi tells Ruth, look, when he goes to sleep, go uncover his feet, lie down at his feet and wait to see how he's gonna respond. She's trusting here, Naomi's trusting in the sovereignty of God. She is trusting that God is going to sovereignly turn Boaz's mind the way he wants it to go. And when he wakes up and sees you at his feet, God is going to work in his mind and heart to determine what the next thing will be. Now, there have been some who have tried to make this something sexual. In fact, there's one commentator, I don't even read much of his book, who tries to make this something seductive and immoral. That's not it at all. Naomi doesn't go out there and say, take off your dress. She goes out there and says, put on a blanket. Put on a blanket that's going to cover you by her feet. And when you go out in the cool of the night, she didn't have a blanket with her. When you go out in the cool of the night, you need a blanket to survive the night. And by covering up, she would be warm. And by this act, she's showing Boaz, I trust you. I trust you. You're a moral man. I trust you as an upright man, as a man of God. And also notice... Naomi didn't say, go lie down next to him. She doesn't say that at all. Lie down at his feet. Lie down at his feet. And she's trusting that God would intervene and Boaz would wake up and tell Ruth what should happen. It's a big gamble. This is a big gamble. If Boaz wakes up and thinks this is some immoral woman or this is some immoral matter, it's not going to go well because he's a man of integrity. He's a godly man of integrity. And if he wakes up out of his sleep and he thinks there's something going on here, this is going to be bad news. Well, then the ninth observation is Ruth tells Naomi she'll do everything she said to do. That's what we see in verse 5. And she said, all that you say, I will do. So we will take a look at what happens, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. I want to leave us with three practical concluding applications. First of all, there are going to be times in our life when if we're going to experience the ultimate of God's blessing, we're going to have to take a risk. It's just the way it is. have to step out by faith and take a risk. may have to leave one place and move to another place. Your place where you were living was comfortable, but you got to make a move because you got to go to where God's word is esteemed, where God's people are. It's risky. I mean, it's risky to leave a place where you've set in and there's a comfort zone there. And then you say, you know what? I'm moving. I'm moving for the glory of God. I'm going to move because I want to know the word of God. I mean, that's a risk. But if you're going to experience the ultimate of blessings of God, there are times you have to take those risks. Secondly, God's sovereignty never negates human responsibility. Boy, that just leaps out at us from this book of Ruth. God's sovereignty never negates human responsibility. We have a responsibility in whatever context, business world, financial world, social world, whatever the context is, we have a responsibility to do everything we can do. I mean, that's what you see here. You have to trust in the sovereignty of God, but you also have responsibilities as you're trusting in the sovereignty of God. And finally, and this is something that I think is so significant and important, especially today. We're God's people, and we need to defend God's sovereignty. We're God's people. We need to defend God's sovereignty. If we don't defend God's sovereignty, who's going to? Do you think this world and the things that are going on in this world are going to rise up a bunch of people that go, you know, God's a sovereign God, and he's to be reverenced, and we need to reverence him? We have to do that. We have to do that. Naomi did that. Naomi was defending the sovereignty of God, and as you'll see, her faith and her willingness to step out by faith. Both her and Ruth is going to pay rich dividends. Well, our time is gone tonight. I want to thank you for coming to our study. It'll be interesting next Wednesday night. So thanks for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.